This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It's good to be with you again. As you are aware, we were not having live shows last week. It was the best of. I a little concerned. I, t- I just did talk to the producer. I, I, I do feel like maybe that is um, a little bit of false advertising in, in the fact that, um, well, I mean, the best of whatever is, I guess, whatever. But um, we are back in the studio, but we is a little bit deceptive because it's been just a roulette of people in the studio over the course of the summer and today and the, for the next couple shows is not going to be an exception. So in the studio is myself, Russ Herman from Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Vinny Hinky from Valley Life Reformed Church. Hey, Russ, good morning. Matt Mashevich from Sovereign Grace. How you doing? And Tim Hazelbaker from Middleton First Baptist. Good morning. I was momentarily fearful that I said the wrong church to the wrong names, but I think I, think I got them all right. You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about a subject that I think we talked on years ago, but we have different set of questions, different men in the studio, and so hopefully it will be um, helpful for those that are listening. It's actually a topic that more and more is being written on and talked about, um, thankfully. Um, it's uh, something that when I was younger um, just wasn't really addressed very much, just was not part of conversations, was not part of the church's repertoire. Um, It was kind of a, we ignore this and hopefully it goes away, but thankfully more and more is written on it. Some of you know that part of the work I do for the Reformation Alliance is help out with the the buying of of books. And what I've noticed over the years is that there are just a ton more titles on the concept or the topic of lament and grief and sadness, depression, now than even when I started doing this six years ago. So even in that time frame, there are more titles that are on this topic. And so I just want to begin with this just simple question. Is there room for grief and sadness in the Christian life, in the Christian experience? Aren't we supposed to be those full of joy, full of happiness, that um, we are those that are in Christ, so therefore we shouldn't be those that have grief and sadness? You know— I was thinking about this when I looked at the topic, and the Apostle Paul talks a lot about rejoicing. He says, um, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. But the same Apostle also said in 2 Corinthians that we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So not only is there room for grief and lament, and sadness, but um, it seems to be normative at times. Yeah, I think repeatedly throughout 
uh, the scriptures, we have biblical figures who experience grief and sadness in their life. And sometimes it's even as a direct result of, of obeying God and following the call that he's extended to them. I think of Paul's description later in Second Corinthians of all the trials and circumstances he endures for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of planting churches. And so I think, as Matt said, there's, a, there's not only room for it, but there, there's also a common shared experience that we have for, of grief and lament. There's a whole book called Lamentations. <laughs> so one can only know. hope then. <laughs> <laughs> the preacher, who I think is Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3, says, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to rear and a time to sow. Our tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And I I think what the, the preacher is doing is saying all of these emotions and experiences will come into the life of everyone and there's a time for it. Now, I do think it matters how we respond to those moments and how we behave, if you will, within those time frames that come and the emotions that we experience. But I don't think there are any that are out of bounds. We as Christians will experience everything that an unbeliever will experience. We might experience them slightly differently, but we'll still have those experiences. Are there biblical life Examples of grief and sadness. So what? who are some people that from the scriptures went through some, some times of struggle, some sorrows and griefs? Jesus. David. Yeah, Job, Jonah, the Thessalonians. Um, Paul writes in chapter 4 in his first letter to them, he, he's answering some of their questions around death and some of the believers who have died, and they've just been overcome with grief thinking that these believers have missed out on something. And so Paul actually addressed them in First Thessalonians 4 that he wants them to grieve, but not as people who have no hope, to actually experience grief with this line of Christian hope that's attached to it. Phil Reckon wrote a book um, a while ago called When Trouble Comes, and in that book he's going through people that are going through struggles along this line. And what he does is every chapter is a different individual from Scripture that struggled mm-hmm. with so Isaiah, Elijah, Ruth, David, Jeremiah, Mary, Jesus, Paul, and each chapter deals with a different facet of this struggle of sorrow and trouble and, and grief. So if you want a, a book that goes through some of these biblical examples, Phil Reckon's When Trouble Comes is such a book. What are some good passages that that kind of get into not a biblical example of a person but get into the internal struggle, uh, the internal um, expression of this difficulty. Where would you turn to find some of that? There are many Psalms. That's probably the most prominent place in Scripture. Many of the prophets, you know, reading Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God says, you you know, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed and you guys are going to get booted out of the land. And so you need to take up this weeping, take up this lamentation. There's... Lots of places in the New Testament as well, uh, in, the, in the epistles, as was brought up before. Whether this was actual correct biblical 
application, but I was just preaching through the life of Joseph. I've been preaching through the book of Genesis and specifically was dealing with the time when Joseph was in prison and and the struggle of he had just interpreted the the dreams of the cupbearer and the the baker and gives this plea to the cupbearer when you get back into the throne room remember me make mention of me and i'm of the opinion that joseph thought that he was getting out of prison that day that he this was his ticket out and it's not he will spend years more in in prison and i then went to psalm 13 and said that that's really more than likely what Joseph was experiencing in it starts how long o lord will you forget me forever and joseph i believe felt forsaken in that prison he referred to it as the pit it's the same word that he used or that is used of what his brothers threw him into um and we know from later in scripture that he had loud cries in that first pit that were ignored by his brothers. Um, and I, I think he probably had those same loud cries in the second pit, um, the prison that he found himself in and felt like he was forgotten. I mean, he's appealing to the stranger, this cupbearer, and saying, remember me in steadfast love, which is really what he's wanting from God. God, remember me in steadfast love. And he's, I, I think, experiencing this, fors- quote-unquote, forsakenness. He wasn't forsaken, but he might have felt that way. Yeah. Uh, Lamentations 3, I think, is in particular uh, verse 16. Uh, says, He's made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace, and I have forgotten what happiness is. Lamentations 3 also carries with it one of the most beautiful antidotes to uh, grief and sadness, but I think it also does an excellent job of just giving us uh, biblical language to describe our grief and our lament and, and our sadness. Actually, in that same sermon, I went to Lamentations My 3. My man, see? Yep. So, that same type of, both of those carry the same type of feeling. Um, you've got Psalms that just speak of, I mean, so directly, God, where are you? Why are you asleep? Well, I haven't done anything wrong, and all of these terrible things are happening to me. Will you forsake me forever? Will you forget me? And I think sometimes we we feel like we can't honestly express those emotions that are inside, and I think the psalmist, um, the psalms, and the psalmists are giving us permission to say no. That's okay to bring those real struggles to God and pour them out before Him, and God knows the the, the emotions and the experiences and the struggle that's inside. And I think the psalms are saying, let them out. Bring them into the throne room of heaven and let them out. You, you Naturally, there's caveats, right? I mean, the next question is, what are proper and improper responses to sadness and grief in the Christian life? There are ways to do that that are improper. Pouring things out before God, there are ways to do it that are proper. Sure. Flesh that out. Well, you know, it's interesting. We also have to realize that God has a reason for what we're going through, and I was thinking about David as you were talking just a second ago. Uh, I don't want to segue away from your question, but I don't want to lose my thought either. Josh Bales does it all the time. You're right. <laughs> okay. You're so, good company. I mean, you listen to David, and David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in the 22nd Psalm? And, um, you know, he had a specific thing that he was going through, but that very passage was used later by Jesus Christ as he said that on the cross, which made the people listening 
hearken back to David. So God was doing something above and beyond what David was going through. But he allowed David to go through this, and he decreed David to go through this for a greater purpose to pay out later on. So sometimes we don't know why we're going through things, but it's okay in the midst of that to cry out to God and look to his mercy. But one of the things we see with David over and over again is even in the midst of his trials, like you said in Psalm, I think you said it in um, Psalm 13, uh, verse 5 says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So even at the same time that we're crying out, still our heart should be pursuing, you know, the Lord. There is a, a psalm that is one of my favorite um, just because it, it ends in dissonance. Almost every psalm ends with resolution. Psalm 44 does not. It ends with awake why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And that's it. There's no resolution. It's a final cry saying, I'm crying out to you about and in, in wanting you to help us because of your steadfast love. Um, it's interesting that right before the, the verses that I quoted is the, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul picks that up in Romans 8. This psalm, this unresolved psalm, and says, you want to know where this is resolved? It's resolved in Jesus Christ. That you are not forsaken. That nothing can separate you from the love of God. And he answers in Romans 8 the unresolved psalm of Psalm 44. Yeah, that's the hope of the gospel, that Christ experienced uh, being forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. Well, we will continue this topic tomorrow. We will see you then.